Buenos días y bienvenidos a la jornada. Listen, I've been looking for an intro to this sermon the whole week and I couldn't find anything. And when Kathleen said that, okay, that's my icebreaker, that's my end. Uh, good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, my name is Joel. I'm uh, the associate pastor here. And we've been going on a series through the book of Philippians the last four weeks. So it's the fifth week. Uh, we we're trying to take a look at the book from the perspective of what it has to say to the church, what it has to say to us as a, as a community together, right? And, and the conclusion that we've come out and we've been looking at is that we are better together, right? That um, the, the, the letter to the book of Philippians is an example of what happens when people are able to put away their differences and their preferences for the sake of the mission of Jesus and the things that God can accomplish with us Together and, and today we're wrapping up the series, and, and you know how we've been sort of like jumping around through different passages. Well, well today I want to close uh, the series in what you may think is an unexpected place. It's this little paragraph, kind of like at the beginning of the letter, actually, that doesn't sound too much like teaching. It's more like housekeeping details that the Apostle Paul is giving. But I actually think that they have a huge importance on how we understand the role of the church and how we understand. Our mission. So with that, if you want to go with me to the book of Philippians, I'm going to start reading uh, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start reading on verse 25. This is what it says. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill, and he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me as we step into this morning's teaching? Dear God, uh, we come before you today. Uh, Believing that this is your word, that these are the things that you speak to us, that you want us to know. And we want to, for a second, just declutter our mind from anything else and be fully present to you in this moment. May your spirit give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want us to know. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Um, so, just a little bit of background of what's going on here. You know, so Paul, the Apostle Paul, is on house arrest. He's been on house arrest, we think, for about two to three years. And the people of Philippi, which is one of the churches that he had started, they hear about it, they worry about him. When you are on house arrest under the Roman Empire, it's like there's a commissary and you get like an amount of a month, you are on your own and figuring things out, right? So they were like sending him some money so that he could, you know, like eat. Um, and they choose this guy named Epaphroditus to go. Some uh, commentators and Bible scholars believe actually that Epaphroditus was probably 
the pastor of the church that stayed behind once Paul left. So Paul came to Philippi, starts his church. At some point, he moves on to continue starting new churches. And Epaphroditus, I think, is the guy that stayed uh, behind, right? So he goes to Paul, brings the money, and on the way, somehow, he gets really sick, which wasn't uncommon at the time, and to the point that he's on his deathbed. Like, people think he might not make it. So they send word back to the people of Philippi, hey, by the way, Epaphroditus is really sick. We're not sure if he's going to come back. And I, I can imagine how this news, all of them together, would have created a lot of anxiety and worry for the people of Philippi for, for, for a couple of reasons, right? Yeah, chances are that these two guys are the only pastors this church has ever known. Because Paul started the church and then Epaphroditus probably stayed right after him. Um, probably the example would be, I don't know, some of you might be might have been here long enough to remember our prior uh, lead pastor, Jerry Jones. And, you know, there was a point uh, towards the end of, of Jerry's pastor, pastor where he felt God was calling him onto the next thing. And, you know, we prayed for him, sent him out. He went to North Carolina and then Chad took over. Now imagine just a few months after Jerry lives for North Carolina, we find out that he's like on fire for Jesus. He's preaching outside the grocery store, whatever. And somehow he gets arrested for disorderly conduct. And he's in, you know, he, he's in the can and nobody can help him. So because he was our pastor, we feel bad for him. What do we do? We send Chad. And we say, hey, Chad, go check on, on, on Jerry and make sure he's okay. On the way there, Chad gets COVID, right? And now we find out that Chad is in the hospital with COVID. There's a part of us as a church that would be worried because hopefully we're nice people and we're worried about people sick and in jail. But there's a part of us, a little maybe selfishly so, that would worry because we're wondering, well, if they're there, what's going to happen to us, right? Like if the guy that was here before is in jail and then the other guy is sick, what's going to happen to us? So, so I think that the Apostle Paul is aware of all of these thoughts and all of this anxiety going on in the minds of the people of Philippi. And it's part of the reason why he's writing this letter, kind of like to encourage them and to calm them down. And now that Epaphroditus is recovering, he's like, okay, I'm going to send you Epaphroditus with this letter. Now, that's all this passage is about. There's no like mysterious, high code teaching or whatever. It's just Paul saying, hey, I'm sending this guy. He was sick. He's not sick anymore. Here's a letter, right? However, I want to invite you for a second to pay attention to some of the language that Paul uses in this paragraph. Because I think that embedded in that language is one of the key dynamics in Paul's ministry and honestly in Paul's life in general. So let me show you. Philippians 2.25. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. Verse 26, I am sending him. Verse 28, so I am all the more anxious to send him back to you. Do you notice a trend? <laughs> Paul seems to have a thing for sending people. Actually, just a few verses before the paragraph that we read, he says this in verse 19. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. He's sending Epaphroditus back, and he says, by the way, I'm sending somebody else after him. And, and this is not only a theme in this letter. It's actually a theme 
throughout his ministry. Two examples uh, from the, the, the epistles to the people in the church of Corinth. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. That's why I have sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child, in the Lord. The next letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 17. Titus welcomed our request that he visit you again. In fact, he himself was very eager to go and see you. We are also sending another brother with Titus. All the churches praise him as a preacher of the good news. And I could show you more and more of these instances. I would argue that Paul saw the sending of people as a key part of his ministry. And there's a reason for this, and it's because he saw himself as someone who had been sent by God. Let me show you how his ministry started. The book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 2. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. The beginning of Paul's ministry is how. It's not he woke up one day and said, hey, I think I'm going to be an apostle and start all these churches. Is that he felt he was called by the Holy Spirit and sent by his church. And if you actually if you trace Paul's ministry, you know, he keeps going from place to place precisely because he believes that this was his mission, to be sent out into the world, that God had sent him. Which, by the way, it's not language that he came up with. It's actually language that we see Jesus using. So let me show you an example. This is uh, right after Jesus has resurrected, there's this episode where Jesus appears to his disciples in, in the, the Gospels. And the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 21, says this. Again, he said, this is Jesus, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. One of the characteristics of being a follower of Jesus is that we are a sent people. Sent to do what, you might ask, right? And the gospel actually answers that question. This is the end of the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, part of the same mission that Jesus was carrying out, Jesus comes into the world to die for our sins, but also to proclaim, to announce the good news of the kingdom of God, that God had, that was doing something completely new in history through him. And now as Jesus is ascending into heaven, Jesus sort of like passes on the baton of that mission to his disciples. And he says, the same thing that you've been seeing me do these last three years, I want you to do now, um, but this is the thing, we believe, not only as Christians have come to believe for the last 2,000 years, 
that this wasn't a mission that Jesus was giving the 12 disciples that were just with him at that point, that this is actually a mission for everyone who could come in after them. That the mission of being sent out is for anybody and everybody who's ever believed in Jesus. So today, here at The Journey, we believe that part of what it means to follow Jesus, to be disciples of Jesus, is that we give our lives to that mission. That, God, that Jesus is saying to you, to me, just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, you hear something like that, I hear something like that, and my first thought is a little bit of like reticence. Because I'm, over, I'm afraid that the next thing the guy on the mic, that's me, is going to say is that you should sell all your possessions and become a missionary and go to like the far, far ends of the world. And I'll say this, by the way. I believe that all Christians should be open to that. Like I believe that part of what it means to follow Jesus is that we're open to the mission and the things that Jesus might call us to. With that said, what I also see in the New Testament is that the majority of the people who come to faith in Jesus, who come to believe in Jesus, you know, the way that they're sending out works is the opposite of that. Now, most of the people that, that come to believe and follow Jesus in the New Testament are people who live on, G on mission in their regular jobs, living their lives. You know how the church in Philippi gets started? This is uh, Book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 12. From there, so kind of like he's going through his missions, and like the next place we went, uh, we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Theatra, a merchant of expensive purple cloth, who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guest. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. The church in Philippi gets started through a fabric merchant who didn't leave her job and, you know, go do an internship being paid minimum wage at the journey to get me coffee, right? No. She stayed in her job and she leveraged that job and that position and the connections that she had for the sake of the mission of Jesus. Uh, being sent does not always mean that we're called to go somewhere else to do something else more religious than what we're doing right now. Most of the time, actually, being sent means seeing where we are right now, where we live, work, and play through the lens of the mission of Jesus and asking ourselves the question, how is God calling me to bring the good news of the kingdom of God here in this place to these people. And what's interesting about the, 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 the Philippians letter is that, you know, Epaphroditus, the guy that Paul is talking about in the letter, you know, 
he's not really being sent out. He's being sent back, right? Like, like he finished his job, right? They sent him with the money, and he went to Paul, and he did the job. He already fulfilled his mission, so to speak. And I think it's fascinating that Paul keeps using this sort of like missionary epic language of I am sending him back to you. And I would argue that I think that Paul believes that when we are in the church, that we're always somehow being sent. That, that, that being a Christian partially means to always live with a mission. That just like the Father sent Jesus, so now we have been sent. Like if you look through the letter of Philippians, you're going to see that dynamic play out, right? Because think about it. Paul is sent out by the church in Antioch. That's where we see the Acts passage where Paul and Barnabas are called. So he's sent out by the church in Antioch to proclaim the gospel. He goes to these different places. One of those places is Philippi. He starts a church there. He's there for a period of time. But then what happens? He continues going. At some point, the church in Philippi did what? They sent Paul out to continue in that mission. And then when they found out that Paul was in prison, what did they do? They asked Epaphroditus, they gave him the, the resources, and then they said, we are sending you out now. And then now that Epaphroditus has recovered, Paul is saying, okay, now Epaphroditus is better, and he's not going to die on me on the way back. I am sending Epaphroditus back to you all. And by the way, I am also sending Timothy. Do you see that? This ministry of the church is this virtuous cycle of being sent out and being sent back and being sent out again. And if the letter of Philippians has anything to tell us about what it means to be better together, which is the theme of this sermon, I think that part of that is this dynamic right here, that not only are we called to partner together and put aside our differences and our preferences so we can fulfill God's mission, but also that somehow out of this community of collaboration where we're coming together, that part of that is also that God is going to fulfill this call of sending people out. Part of what it means to be in the church is that we are being sent and then we're sending each other out. And I actually think that of all the topics we've looked at during this series, this idea that we are a sent people who send people is particularly relevant to us. One of the things we've realized at the journey in the last few years is that we have a very high turnover ratio. And what that means is that you know, we have a significant amount of people, probably more than other churches, uh, that join our church and are with us for about two to three years, and then they leave. Hopefully not because we're chasing them away, right? Uh, but it's mainly two factors, right? One is just the, the transient, inherent nature of, of being a suburb of D.C., where you have so many jobs that are cyclical in nature, political appointments, all sorts of things. So people come here for a specific job, two to three years, and then they move on. We believe, though, that we have kind of like a, an extra layer of that, and it's the fact that we are a church that has a high military population, right? Some of you here probably are on that camp. And part of what that means is that part of how your job works, your, your assignments work, is that you are sent to a place for a number of years, and then you are sent to a different place. Um, and, you know, for, for us, we're thinking it's about like a three-year cycle. I actually asked Chad 
if we had some historical data on, on the numbers of people, and he sent me this. Uh, so we have, from, from what we've been able to gather, right? 2017, we had about 66 people that went out. In 2018, the number was 90. In 2019, it was 100. We don't have data available for 2020. I have no idea why. Not, not sure what happened that year. Uh, 2021, it was 107. 2022, we legit forgot to ask, so that's why we have numbers there. At 2023, so far, what we have is about 51 people. And actually, we think that those numbers are low, that it's probably 25% like more than that. Uh, but just for the sake of, of, of this sermon, right, we have about 100 people every, uh, you know, every year that move out and leave our church. Now, we're a church that we're averaging about 500 people a Sunday. So that's like a fifth of our attendance. Like, we think that in three years, we probably cycle through about half of the church. And that can be a very frustrating dynamic for everybody, right? Like some of you actually are hearing me say this and you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've lived this before, right? Because it's not your first assignment because you know what it is to go into a new place and trying to find housing and trying to find schools for your children and, and trying to make friends and Right, to find a church and, you know, and eventually you develop some relationships and before you know it, you have to move to something else and then you have to go through the process of finding something else and also of saying goodbye to the people and relationships and places that you are leaving behind. For us as a church, this is hard, you know, uh, because we have people that are very transient, but we also have people that have been coming here for years and years and years who actually have seen many families come and go and that have developed those deep relationships and that I had to say goodbye I'm sorry goodbye to so many people over and over uh, when I was being interviewed for this job I had a conversation with uh, Jim Pruitt one of our elders and he was kind of talking to me about that he said to me hey listen I want you to, to understand that part of your job that like, you're going to have to learn and be okay at saying goodbye to people because explaining me this dynamic that I'm sharing with you now. And like, I really wanted the job, so I was very cavalier. I was like, dude, it's fine. Listen, like, I pastor in DC, people live all the time, doesn't affect me, right? And I've been in this job for six months now. I can tell you something, like, even in these six months, I've come to know people that I deeply care about, that I know are probably going to move on away in a year. And a part of me is already grieving that loss. Just the nature of it. But also, to be honest, as a pastor, part of my job is to raise up new leaders, right? And I, one of the things I did this past six months is like I visited all of our different life groups and saw conversations, people that were talking. And part of my thing was, okay, who, who here has leadership potential? And I would make a list, and I would meet with each other in the week and say, hey, listen, like, this, this person said this in the, in the group. I was listening to by the way. And I think that maybe we should ask them. And every time, oh, yeah, they're getting moved to this place. Or they're, they're living. And part of the thing that I realized is, you know, I'm identifying this leadership potential, and I want you to get involved and serve and step up here. The government has also identified your leadership potential, and they think it would be better suited to put in the service of our national security halfway around the world. So there you go, right? And then we laugh about it, but it's true. That's just kind of like the dynamics that we are. And there's a few ways in which we can approach the dynamic of our church, right? One is, as I said, we can just become frustrated and better 
and complain and kind of like, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. What's the point, right? Uh, as, as, as a church, and kind of like, hey, these new people came in. Be nice, but not get too friendly because they're going to leave anyway. And what's, you know. Uh, we can also put up walls. That might be emotionally, that might be relationally. Maybe you are part of this church and you've developed so many of these relationships. And at some point, your heart hurts a little bit every time you have to say goodbye. But maybe you also are somebody that's new to the area, new to this church, and you're thinking to yourself, listen, I'm just going to be here for a couple of years. I'll show up on Sundays. Uh, I'll throw in some money on the offering bucket. But, you know, don't, don't trust me with any re leadership responsibilities because I'm going to leave, right? And, like, I'll come to your group, but I, I, I'm not in the place that I can develop more lifelong friendships of people that I might move. So we have this, this, this wall. And, and this is the thing. The, the problem with that is that, when we do that, so that, somehow we miss out on the work that God wants to do in our lives if we don't put up those walls. Or we could approach a dynamic the way that Paul, and for that matter, the way that Jesus approaches the dynamic. We could learn to see ourselves as people who are constantly being sent out and who are sending out others for the sake of the mission of Jesus. As a church leadership, we've started using the language that we want to be ascending church. And what we mean by that is that we don't want to just be frustrated and, and grieve every time uh, a dear person moves away. But we want to play our part in this sending out that we believe Jesus wants to see happen in his church. And, and this is kind of like where the remit's wrote. What we believe is that if this is true, Wherever you move next, right, whether that is a new job assignment, whether that is your next assignment in your military career, there's that going on of your career path taking you there. But if we are people, if this is, the Bible is true, like if this is true that we're people that are being sent, we believe that Jesus has purposes for you where you're going. There is something that God wants to do through your life at the next place. That maybe it might be the, the relationship you're going to develop with your neighbors at this new place. It might be the, the relationships that you're going to develop in your place of work or employment in your community. That there's something or many things that God has for you as part of his mission of spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth that goes with you wherever you go. And what we want to do is, you're going to be here with us for three years. We want to equip you and train you and encourage you and give everything that we can to you during your time here so that when you go there, we can send you out to continue the mission of Jesus in the name of the Lord. Now, for that to happen, I think there's a change of perspective that has to happen in us. And, and there's three things in there. The first thing is this. We have to see this as our mission. We have to accept the mission, so to speak, without going to it like military terms, cheese, right? That, that, that you have to see your life. Like, and, and what I want you to just think of this. The, the decisions that you make about where you live, where you work, how you spend your money, how you spend your free time. Are those decisions that you're only making for the sake of, like, it's the next career move, it's the, the right um, school district for my kids, it's, you know, uh, interest rates being what they are, it's whatever the thing is, like, how you make your decisions. Or 
Do you believe that Jesus is sending you out into the world? So you add, you kind of like, that becomes the primary grid, the primary layer through which you see your life and the decisions that you make. And you start asking your question, in this thing that I'm being invited to, maybe it's this new job opportunity, how is Jesus wanting me to serve him here? How is Jesus going to fulfill and move forward his mission in this place. We all have to adapt this mentality and this vision that we are sent people. But the other thing is that we have to learn that if we're here for whatever period of time, that we have to, that there is something that God wants to do in us and through us. But we have to open ourselves up to that, which means the walls and the barriers have to come down. Like, I believe that, that, that the, the church is a spiritual enterprise, meaning I don't think any of you are here by accident. You know, Maybe you're doing your tri five thing, and that's great. We're happy you're here. And if there's a different church for you, that's great. But, but, but those of you that, that you've said, hey, this is my place. This is my church. It's a place that I believe God has me for. I don't think that's an accident. I think that there's something that God wants to do in your life in this place. But also... I think that there's something God wants to do in this place through your life. That there are things that you have to contribute. That there are things, that there are gifts and wisdom and love and all sorts of things that God wants to bless this community. And that's part of you being on mission for Jesus. And that means opening ourselves up to serving and getting involved, but also to relationships and to loving people. Even if we know that there may be a goodbye a couple of years from now. Believing that this is part of how God shows us love and changes us. And what I think is that we're all better together because of that. And the other thing is that when we see life like that, then what we learn is that send, this dynamic of sending and being sent, it's not only or should not only be a cause for grief, but then it should also be a cause for joy. Because even though saying goodbye is difficult, we realize, oh, no, no. This is how Jesus is continuing his mission. Yes, we'll miss you. Yes, our hearts break a little bit because you're not going to be with us. But we know that there are people in your future who God wants to love and save and rescue and transform. And God's going to use your life for that. And that is reason to rejoice. But it's also the fact that because we're all kind of like pushing in the same mission forward, even if we don't see each other for a little bit of time, it's not an eternal goodbye. That our lives keep intersecting in the future, whether on this life or on the other side of eternity, but that we're bound together forever. What that means then is that goodbye, as painful as it might be, is not permanent. And we can rejoice in that. Uh, at the end of the letter of Philippians, Paul is saying goodbye. And I love how he's saying, like, I just read this, uh, Philippians 4, verse 21. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people. And then he's like, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings. All the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul is saying, hey, listen. 
you're not alone. And I might not be with you anymore, but I'm still a part of you. And you're part of this larger story. And these churches I'm here with in Rome, you're connected with them, and they are cheering you on, and they're sending you their regards. And guess what? Whenever we send people out, whenever some of you go to another church, you are the letter of the Philippians. You are Epaphroditus going to this new community and this new church. And God saying, I am sending you greetings and encouragement through this person. Um, when, when I was looking for the picture of Jerry that I showed you, and Chad said, hey, go through our Facebook page, and you probably see old pictures. You can find a picture. There. So I spent like a couple hours just scrolling down through Facebook pictures of the journey. And in those pictures, I found this picture. That's me and my wife, Megan, and a couple part of our, the launch team of Encounter. We were probably like right there. <laughs> Years ago, it has to be 20, 2017, maybe, 2016, 2017. I don't even know. Many, maybe some of you here were there that day, right? And you prayed for us, and you gave me an opportunity to speak, and you helped us and support us financially and encouraged us. And in a way, because you're part of this community network of churches, you helped Send us out. And wouldn't you know the sense of humor that God has? <laughs> that a few years later, God decides, hey, remember the, the Ecuadorian guy with the funny accent? Well, here you go. I am sending him back to you. Right? We're part of this community of sending. You know, this thing. What's crazy to me is that I'm seeing these pictures, and there's so many people that I don't know, right? And I'm not talking about people from like five years ago. I'm talking people from last year that I don't know, right? And I'm seeing these pictures, and I'm seeing these people, and I'm like, it's weird, but we're part of the same story. We're, we're connected somehow. It's, it's this crazy dynamic, right? And then I kept going, I kept scrolling through the pictures, and one of the things I realized, too, is, you know, the amount of goodbye prayers that we do for the people that are being sent out. You know, last week we said goodbye to the Wesselmans. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we brought on stage the families that are moving away this year, and we prayed for them, right? A few weeks before that, our teens had their kind of like farewell party for some of the kids that are graduating and moving away to college, and we said some goodbyes there. Last year... We said goodbye to the McGee's. And we said goodbye to the Roaches before that. And a couple years before that, we said goodbye to the Johnsons. I even found a people from a few years ago when Jerry was still the pastor, praying for all the families that were moving away. And this is the thing. You know what the common denominator in all those pictures was? It's you. Praying for people, lifting them up, sending them out. I believe that this is part of what it means to be the church. So my encouragement for you is this. If you're here, maybe you're here new, maybe you, your assignment is going to be of two or three more years. My encouragement to you, don't put up walls. Because God has a mission for you. 
And God wants to equip you to that mission. And part of your mission is us. We're part of your mission field. There's things that God wants to say to us and do in our community through you. Don't rob yourself and don't rob us of that. Put down the walls and engage. But for us, all of us as a church, do we take the challenge of being a sent people who are sent out and who sent others out? Do we celebrate when we know that somebody is going to move, not because we're glad that they're gone, but because we know that God has something for them and something for others through them wherever they go. And my friends, we believe that doing that also is part of what it means to be better together, to be a people sent out. Uh, we're going to step into a time of communion, and um, you have your, your, your kid, you can pull it out. Uh, you think... One of the reasons why I love communion is because it's partially the glue that keeps us together. Because of what it represents, the sacrifice of Jesus that binds us all together. But also in a way because of the ritual itself. Because for the last 2,000 years, billions of people across the world, every Sunday in different language with different Political persuasions with different socioeconomic backgrounds in completely different settings take a piece of bread and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. So what I want you to do is something. Uh, take, take the bread in your hand. and Don't, don't pull it in your, in, in your mouth yet. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think for a second of all the people that have left this church. Some of them that you know, that you love, that you miss, that you care for. Maybe it's people in another church that you came from. And I want you to, re to realize this. As you are putting the bread to your lips, chances are that today they did the same thing. I have no idea where the McGee's are this morning, but I'm pretty sure that today they took bread after somebody told them that this was the body of Christ broken for them. No idea where the roaches are, but I'm pretty sure that that happened. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after breaking it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Let's now take the bread together with all the saints of Christ. As you take the cup, I want you to close your eyes again and think of the fact that we didn't invent this thing. <laughs> they were part of a story that God has been telling for 2,000 years. That there's parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and people in other parts of the world that for years and years and years and years have been joining into this story and that we're bound with them. Let's take the cup together. Father, Thank you that you make us part of your story. And that for however long we are with each other in this room, we want to embrace it. And then we want to celebrate when you send us somewhere else to continue carrying on this vision so new people can also become a part of this story. In the name of Jesus, we pray.